right now there's a lot of companies that make it easier to fill out forms, which we call sort of band-aid fixes on the problem. With FAST, we don't want to make it easier to fill out forms. We want to make it so that you don't have to fill out forms at all. In this episode, I'm joined by Allison Barr-Allen co-founder and COO of Fast, a startup working to bring one-click passwordless checkout services to the 5 billion users of the internet. Previously, Allison served as the head of global product operations at Uber, where she helped scale the company from 2,000 employees to more than 26,000 worldwide. Allison is also currently an LP at Operator Collective and an active startup investor through Trail Run Capital, her angel investment fund through which she's invested in companies like Air Garage, Eventify, Hopin, and more. In this episode, we discuss Fast's recent $20 million round led by Stripe and how she and co-founder Dom Holland plan to use that money to build the world's fastest online login and checkout platform. Hope you enjoy. Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. So Allison, as the COO of Fast and former head of global product operations at Uber, I know most of our listeners probably know you from the world of tech. That being said, I wanted to rewind a little bit and talk about what you were initially interested in after graduating from Northwestern and how that led you to PwC. So I went to Northwestern and graduated in 2010. I was a pre-med major and I was planning to go to medical school. I thought I was going to become an ENT. And after college, I decided that I wanted to take a break before going to medical school. So I looked for a role in healthcare consulting and I found a role at PwC in Chicago. So I started there just after graduating from college. Um, and actually stayed there for four years doing healthcare consulting. And what I realized when I started working is that I, I didn't miss studying in school very much. So I just ended up dating consulting. And then after a couple of years, my brother, who was two years younger than me, he went to a small college in Ohio, but he was a self-taught front-end developer. And after college, he started applying for startups as a developer and an engineer. And he worked for a couple of companies in Boston that were very small, just starting out. I mean, I was really fascinated by what he was doing and the types of problems he was working on and the companies he was working with. And I was at a point in my career at PwC where I was sort of thinking about what was next. And I decided that I was interested in getting into technology. That's awesome. So you spend four years at PwC and you leave in 2014 to join Uber as a manager on their operations team. Uh, And I know you spoke to this a little bit with your brother in terms of being a self-taught developer, but I guess what got you interested in startups in the first place and how did you go about navigating that transition from big corporation at PwC to fast growing tech startup in Uber? Yeah, good question. I would say I I got pretty lucky in a few regards. It's pretty difficult to get a job at a small tech startup if you don't have a tech background. So first of all, if you are interested in working at startups, I would recommend most that you major in computer science or start something that's entrepreneurial to get experience just because there's a lot of more business-minded people who are looking at startups and there's often not that many roles for them. So I ended up applying to all types of companies all over Chicago 
portfolio. And Uber at the time was growing really rapidly. And they were hiring a lot of former consultants and bankers to work on our driver operations team. This was a really cross-functional role where we worked directly with drivers all over Chicago and really made sure that there were enough drivers on the road when people wanted them. So I just got a lot of experience in all types of startup operations on the ground. So we managed driver communications, we managed driver payments, we managed fraud. We just learned how to be really scrappy and solve ongoing problems that were really important to the business. Gotcha. I can certainly identify with the the non-technical piece as someone who does not know how to code. That's definitely a skill that I wish I had. So Allison, you joined Uber when the company is still pretty small, you know, approximately 2,000 employees. And by the time you leave the company in 2019, Uber had grown to more than 26,000. Can you speak a little bit to how your role at the company evolved over time and what that was like working at Uber during this hyper growth phase? So when I first started at Uber, I was only focused on the city of Chicago. So we had different city teams and we were very focused on growing our specific markets and the needs of that specific city. And then I ended up launching Champaign, Illinois as another city. So, So started thinking more about other cities and how Uber expands a bit. After I was in the driver operations role in Chicago for a year, I ended up moving to San Francisco because Uber developed a team called Product Operations, where we took people like myself with experience on the ground working with drivers and riders in cities and embedding them within product teams in San Francisco. And the goal of product operations is generally twofold. Um, One is focused on product strategy and planning. So Uber launched in dozens of countries all over the world, and there's a lot of different business needs in these different locations. They have different types of maps. They have different types of payment methods. And at the time, most of our product engineering teams were in San Francisco. So we had one central team that was making product decisions and helping decide what we wanted to build while trying to prioritize on a global basis. So my team helped prioritize and organize a lot of these business insights and ideas that ops people around the world had about how Uber could grow and continue to expand and improve our products. So that was one part. So thinking a lot about product strategy, what should our OKRs be for this half in this year, and what areas should Uber invest in um, as a company? The second was scaling and launching products. So whenever Uber decides to build a product um, and roll it out to uh, the millions of riders and drivers we have around the world, there was a lot of operational complexity in regards to taking those products to market. So that included figuring out what cities the product should launch in, how the support teams are going to be updated about the product changes so that they're prepared to answer any questions, making sure we have all the right marketing materials, and the list goes on. But as soon as the product is ready to launch, there's, there's still quite a bit of work that needs to be done. So my team would manage a lot of those large scale rollouts. What was amazing for me is I had the experience to manage and launch our driver instant payment product, which was the first product I launched when I moved to San Francisco. I knew from working directly with drivers in San Francisco that this was a product that they really, really wanted. If drivers had an issue with their payment, it was very catastrophic for them. And I knew that if we could pay them sooner, it would just make their life so much easier and they'd be a lot happier. So the product that we built enabled drivers to one, seamlessly sign up for a free bank account through Uber and two, they could pay themselves on demand as soon as any trip was completed. That's great. I can see firstly, you know, how launching that instant pay feature really connects to what you do now, Allison, with with Fast. And second, just thinking through, you know, the user experience of a driver with Uber. So many of these folks need these payments 
right away. So being able for them to sign up for this instant pay and get that money dropped into their accounts right away, to me, feels like a great thing. So I know you spoke a little bit about moving from Chicago to San Francisco and seeing Uber launch in so many different countries. Were there any big lessons that stick out to you along the way in terms of managing teams or thinking through the growth of a company that you still draw on today? Yeah, there's so many. One thing I think that was really powerful and helpful for me is to work on a product that had very large scale distribution and that consumers really wanted. I always knew that payments was an important part of the Uber ecosystem. And I think that hypothesis was sort of validated over and over again. So it was really powerful for me to work on this product that had incredible product market fit and reach. And I learned a lot through that process. The other is I learned about global businesses. So I think Uber is pretty unique in how quickly we scaled globally. And that just taught me so much about product needs in different countries. The U.S. is a very important market, but there's also a lot of other very important markets around the world. And we're constantly thinking on a global basis, which especially in an operationally complex company like Uber is pretty unique because it's not similar to a Facebook or a social app where you can just turn it on in another country. There's a lot that needs to be done to really launch in those countries. And then one area is payments specifically. So Uber accepts cash as a payment method in most countries around the world. And if you use Uber commonly in the US, it's not something that you think about, but it impacted a lot of what we spent our time on and products that we built. That's awesome. It's funny. We actually had Sean Shu from Floodgate on the show, I think a month and a half ago. Uh, and he was working with Square at the time in which they were trying to launch into some some different markets, had some similar thoughts there. So that's great that those were, were some of your learnings from, from Uber. So by January of 2019, you actually begin making some startup investments out of your own angel investment fund. Can you tell our listeners how you initially got started with angel investing and how Trail Run Capital came to be? So about two years ago, I actually met a VC for the first time. Ever since I graduated from college, I developed a strong interest in the stock market. And Mm -hmm. even before I worked in tech, I would research different companies and and try to make predictions about what could happen in the future. And I got coffee with an investor and I didn't know anything about venture at the time, but he recommended that I write an investment thesis. So I ended up writing an investment thesis called Frictionless Finance, which I still reference a lot today, but it was based on my experience at Uber and thinking about different ways in in payment flows and financial services where there could be big business opportunities. And two years ago, this was actually when crypto was really hot. Um, There were all these crypto funds getting started. Everyone said crypto is the future of identity and payments and was going to solve everyone's problems. And based on my experience at Uber and, and what I saw, I thought there were still a lot of really interesting businesses within core fintech and in payments. So I wrote this thesis and, and just really loved the process of making hypotheses and then trying to identify companies in those specific areas. So for a long time, I thought I was going to go into venture. My goal was to become a fintech investor. I just loved venture capital and thinking about different companies. And then to get experience, I started making my own angel investments. So about a year ago, I started angel investing and I loved it more than, than I thought I would. With angel investing, I could develop really relationships with really small teams that were only two or three people. And it was just a, a nugget of an idea. And that was like really fun for me while I was at this huge company, just thinking about what could exist in the future. And then last summer, I was fortunate enough to meet Dom. We connected on Twitter and he was basically building my investment thesis in real life. So I actually have read, I guess, both the string of tweets in which you announced you were joining Fast and in which you detailed the frictionless finance thesis. Uh, For listeners who might not be quite as familiar, can you speak a little bit to that and what your thinking was there? 
Yeah, I had no idea what an investment thesis was. So I do what any normal person does and Google it. If I remember correctly, I had come across the Sequoia YouTube investment memo and sort of took the the core components of what that was like. And then I wrote some longer works as well. But I would generally come up with a hypothesis around a problem statement and then come up with opportunity ideas. And then I would identify some companies that match that mold. So actually the first part of the thesis is around checkout conversion. And I pulled data around friction that I saw at checkout and how 80% of e-commerce purchases get abandoned at checkout or, or something of that regard, and then ended up identifying some companies. But another area that I've been thinking about a lot is identity, because Uber spends a lot of time and energy thinking about identity and other companies are as well. So I had this use case in my head where I was looking for a company where there's an identity API that sort of powers everything on the internet. And what Dom and I are working to do is basically connect payments with identity in a way that that hasn't been done before. I'm definitely starting to see more and more of the overlap, you know, between your time at Uber and now with Fast. Uh, but before we jump into, I guess, speaking a little more about Fast, I'd love to know what you personally look for, Allison, when investing in a startup. And do you have advice for others out there who want to start angel investing themselves? Yeah, good question. I ended up making my website actually last summer because once I said I started angel investing, I would get lots of questions about what I look for. So I wrote it up a bit, but I would generally look for companies that were post-product because I wanted some track record and proof of execution for what the team could build. And if you go back and look at a lot of successful companies, a lot of times there's quite a bit of traction even at the very early stages and you just have to know what to look for. So if you're seeing really high growth within even one segment, it can be indicative of what this can sort of become. So yeah, one is definitely product. The second is team. So I just look for really incredible people who I think have the potential to build really big businesses. The third thing I look for that is probably the most important and drives a lot of how I think about business and problems is that I believe that the biggest companies in the world are solving really, really painful problems. So whether it's a painful consumer problem or a painful business problem, you just have to be solving a problem that a lot of people have, or it's just such a painful problem that they'll be willing to pay you to fix it. I've just found a lot of companies that don't succeed. My hypothesis for why they don't succeed is they're solving a problem that isn't painful enough or people don't really have it. And they're trying to go backwards from the technology to the problem when you really should be starting with the problem and then you find the best technology to solve the problem. Gotcha. Yeah, Michael C. Bell from uh, YC has a great blog post on this. Um, he tells founders, never start with a solution and look for a problem. Always start with this very painful problem and then build the solution around that. You know, it's this idea that a solution in search of a problem is just the kiss of death for founders. So I think that's great. Yeah, it always surprises me how even some of the, the very best investors in, in people sort of get that backwards. Absolutely. So I know you spoke to this a little bit, but in August of 2019, you meet with an entrepreneur by the name of Dom Holland to discuss a potential angel investment in his company. Can you tell us the story of how a simple breakfast meeting turned into you becoming the COO and now co-founder of Fast? So yeah, I met Dom in August. Basically, we, we jammed for an hour or so about the problem he was solving. And I had researched it extensively and I was thinking a lot about checkout. And we talked about even the identity API thing. And he hadn't built any of this yet, but he, he got it so quickly. He also knew a lot about the, the payments landscape and was able to really quickly articulate 
why he had a solution that would work. So it was just really positive. And because I had been really interested in venture capital for a long time, I'd developed this huge network of investors that I had relationships with. I I knew sort of what their portfolio looked like and then what they looked for. So I basically said, send me your update and I'll send it around to some investors to take a look at. And one of the people that I sent it to was Jan Hammer, who is a partner at Index Ventures. Jan was always an investor I had looked up to because he has incredible track record with consumer fintech companies, almost better than I think any investor in the world. But Jan decided to meet with Dom. And then I remember I was on a road trip in Yosemite on Labor Day and Dom texted me um, and said that Jan was going to invest. And that was pretty awesome. And then Dom texted me after that. He's like, are you in? And I was like, oh yeah, of course I'm going to invest in the round. And then he's like, no, the company. I was not looking to go to an early stage company. I I was set on becoming an investor, but Dom and I just got along really well and we ended up chatting a few times after that and he he convinced me to join full time. That's great. And Jan Hammer is obviously, you know, a legendary fintech investor. So many great companies, including Robinhood, a company that so many people turned down, but not him. (laughs) Um, So very cool story there. So Allison, for our listeners who might not be quite as familiar, can you give us a quick rundown of what FAST does and why there's such an exciting opportunity here? So at FAST, we are building a one-click checkout for the entire internet. So our goal is to really bring the experience of Amazon one-click pay and the idea that you can have your identity and payment information stored and not have to log into sites over and over again to the rest of the internet. Why this business is really interesting is currently every time you engage with a business online, you have to create a new account and password and enter your payment information over and over again. You have a one-to-one relationship with every business that you interact with and consumers end up spending a lot of time creating these accounts, managing these accounts, authenticating in all types of different ways. However, the business wants to set it up and it can become really, really onerous. So our goal is to make it as easy as possible for people to buy things online and for businesses to accept payment online. So I personally would love to have a product like this. I can't tell you how frustrating it is to constantly give different companies my credit card information and my login info over and over and over. So we obviously have this very large total addressable market here. How are you and Dom thinking through your initial target market and who your best first customer might be? This problem is really interesting because it impacts businesses of all types and all sizes. So we talked to the very small Shopify merchants all the way up to companies like Gap and and they all have this problem. How we're thinking about tackling go-to-market is multi-pronged. So we will first be starting with sort of the more traditional uh, retail. Mm -hmm. We do have our swag store out there. We're testing the product on ourselves which is kind of fun. And our goal is to not only make the experience amazing for uh, the consumer, but also on the business side, we want it to be incredibly easy for them to integrate fast. And then there'll be other segments. So large enterprise customers will take a little bit, they'll have a bit of a longer sales cycle. And then another area we'll target is agencies, which often build a lot of websites for small and medium businesses. Interesting. And for folks looking to check out that fast login and that fast checkout, we'll definitely link to the fast swag store in our show notes for folks looking to try that. So Allison, I guess someone more cynical might say, you know, we have things like Apple Pay, we've got PayPal. What is the market need for a solution like fast? So FAST is differentiated in a few ways. One is we combine login and payments in a way that hasn't really been done before. There's a lot of solutions on the login side. So you have login with Facebook and login with Google that work relatively well. And then there's quite a few solutions on the payment side. So 
PayPal and Venmo and others. There's really not a company that's sort of combining login with payments at scale. Another thing that differentiates FAST is right now there's a lot of companies that make it easier to fill out forms, which we call sort of band-aid fixes on the problem. That includes password managers that make it easier to fill out forms or they may automatically fill out some of the forms along with Chrome autofill and things like that. But often you still have to go in and manually check all the information. And because there are different companies and the data is stored in different places, it's not always going to be seamless. With FAST, we don't want to make it easier to fill out forms. We want to make it so that you don't have to fill out forms at all. So our goal is really to be the source of truth for your information online. So if you have a new credit card, over time you would just add it to FAST. Or if you move and you have a new address, you would just update it on FAST. And then every other business um, could just leverage our information to, to have the source of truth for who you are and how you pay for things. Interesting. Yeah, I can tell you when I first heard about uh, your company and this idea, I thought it was amazing that firstly, nobody had really thought to combine login with payments. And then secondly, this deeper insight that we haven't really thought to scale users across platforms on the internet kind of blew me away. So I think it's great that you guys are working on tackling this problem. So switching gears here a bit, I know that Fast was also recently involved in some pretty exciting news. Allison, can you tell our listeners about the company's recent fundraising announcement and the somewhat unique lead investor there? Yeah, so Fast just announced that we raised a $20 million Series A and the lead investor was Stripe. And we're incredibly excited um, because Stripe has spent the past decade plus building this incredible global network of payment processing infrastructure. And with Stripe, Fast is easily able to launch in multiple countries pretty quickly. Stripe can help manage a lot of the payment licensing and compliance requirements that can just be really complicated and time-consuming to set up. So because of Stripe, Fast can easily launch in in many, many countries all over the the globe. Yeah, I'm thinking the average person had to be thinking when they saw that announcement, why the heck would Stripe lead around investing in another startup? But this idea that Stripe's built out a way for, you know, online stores and businesses to accept payments, while Fast is trying to build kind of the equivalent consumer solution on the other side of the transactions, I think is very, very cool. This is obviously also a very quick turnaround, particularly in this fundraising environment. Practically speaking, how does Fast plan to use this money and how are you and Dom thinking through the company's hierarchy of needs? Yeah, it it was a pretty fast turnaround, but I think a lot of that is based on the size of the opportunity that we believe that we have to tackle. The more businesses that we talk to and the more consumers that we talk to, we just realize how big of a problem this is for all types of businesses and consumers. And on the front, it seems like a simple problem, but when you dig deeper, there's a lot of complexity in how it works. And similar to, to instant payments at Uber and sort of that type of product that seems really simple, sometimes the most simple products can have the largest business impact or outsized business impact in a way that can be much bigger than much more complex products. So the hard part is really getting it down to the most simple level that you can. And a lot of times it's easier to make things far more complex. As far as how we're thinking about the fundraising and using it going forward, most of our time and attention is spent on our team um, and hiring the very best product and engineering people that we can. There's a lot of products to build. Right now we're just on web, but we're planning to to build mobile apps and for a lot of different platforms and ecosystems. And, and there's a lot to do. So we're, we're definitely looking to hire the very best product and engineering talent. 
Um, and then we'll also be expanding our sales team as we go to market. Very cool. So I want to switch gears here and actually talk about a unique hobby of yours, Allison, which happens to be marathon running. Can you tell us how you initially got started with this? Sure. So growing up, my dad was actually a marathoner and I just grew up being around running a lot. My dad ran his own restaurant and he would also run a hundred plus miles a week when I was growing up and would do tons of local road races and competitions and he was really competitive. So I, I grew up around running. And then in 2013, I was in Boston because my dad runs the Boston Marathon every single year. He's run it 42 times in a row. So he's run it every year since 1978, I believe. So I, I also grew up going to the Boston Marathon. And in 2013 was the year of the Boston Marathon bombings. And my mom, my brother and I were a couple blocks away um, from where the bombing happened while we were waiting for my dad to finish. It was a pretty um, intense time. But after that, I decided that I wanted to run Boston. So I started running more and ended up qualifying after I ran a few marathons. I started running a lot more about three or four years ago when I moved to San Francisco because the weather in San Francisco is a lot more conducive to outdoor running year round than uh, Chicago. Absolutely, it is. So a couple things I'm curious about there. I personally love to work out, but frankly could never even begin to think about finishing a marathon or doing something that painful. I'd love to know, have you seen kind of that discipline and that grit required by marathon running carry over into your professional life? And also, I guess, what is it about running that that you love so much? Yeah, good question. I'd say most people have a misconception that running needs to be painful and hurts all the time. But actually, (laughs) most people who run, especially in the US, run way too fast. So the best thing to do is to run more consistently. But run slower and you can get a lot of the benefits. I don't know exactly why, but sort of get this fulfillment and mindfulness and joy out of running on a consistent basis that you may not from from doing other things. I also think it's a really great time to sort of be away from technology. Uh, Most of the time I don't run with my phone. I, I just run with my GPS watch. And in San Francisco, I can run outside year round. So almost every morning I can get that vitamin D and sort of see the Golden Gate Bridge and these beautiful places. And it just is a great way to to start my day. And it also gives you this incredible feeling of accomplishment that that's hard to replicate. Absolutely. And I'm sure San Francisco is just a gorgeous place to run outside. So just the last question that Ethan and I like to ask all our guests on the show, what are some of your favorite books and podcasts and how have they changed the way that you view the world? Sure. My favorite book is one called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a very old book, but I actually hadn't read it until a year or so ago. And it's really interesting how not much has changed in 100 years about the psychology of humans and and what we care about. And it just iterates that people just care a lot about their families and, and things that are important to them. And I think it's important to understand that when you're doing business. Another podcast a lot of people listen to, but Harry Stebbings in the 20 Minute VC. Harry is an investor in Vast and and a big fan, but also when I was learning a lot about venture and investing, I I learned a ton from Harry's podcast. So I think it's a a great primer to sort of get up to speed. And he has an incredible library of guests that he's had for for years and years. Yeah, the the Dale Carnegie, obviously a great and timeless book. And then the 20 Minute VC, also one of my favorites. I'm a huge fan of Harry. So Allison, lastly, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, I'm most active on Twitter. Twitter. So at a bar Allen is where I, where I definitely post the most. Great. We can link to those in the show notes. Allison, thanks so much for coming on the show. 
Thanks so much for having me. This has been Ashley Tyson with Worth. You can find show notes below or at worth.card.co. That's card with two R's. Thanks for your time.